Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. As you know, each week I like to uh, share some wisdom and the following week I like to bring on a guest who, who's, who's, who's bringing some authentic wisdom and sharing from their own experience. And I'm really excited uh, about my my guest today. Funnily enough, I was given this book uh, about a year, well, maybe a few months ago, eight, six months ago, seven months ago, a book called Everything is Here to Help You. If you haven't read the book, beautiful book, very much in alignment with my philosophy. Check out the book, Everything is Here to Help You. When I read the book, I really enjoyed it. And I recognized the name uh, of the author. And I realized, wow, I must have been 15, 16, however many years ago I had, had a tea with him. Uh, recommended by a mutual friend and uh, it's been beautiful to to see his evolution and he's doing amazing work in the world he's a best-selling author of everything is here to help you uh, whatever arises love that he's a spiritual teacher a highly attuned empathic healer and he's uh, inspiring and transforming transforming the lives of many people around the world welcome to soul talk matt khan welcome Thank you for having me. What a lovely reunion this is after 15 some odd years. <laughs> it's great, man. It's great. It's really great. Uh, it, it was such a, brought a smile to my face when I was reading through the book and I saw your name. I'm like, I think I know this guy. I think I've met him somewhere. So <laughs> it's really been beautiful to, uh, to see what you've been up to and uh, just the authenticity and the heart and the soulfulness with which you share. And so you know, Soul Talk is all about that. So I'm looking forward to just, just diving into uh, you and your life and what's been unfolding and, and just being able to uh, share some of your wisdom with, with all the listeners in. So tell me a little bit about, especially for those that may not have read your book or know of your work, I know you have an interesting story from when I remember us uh, connecting previously, but t- t- tell us a little bit about like, what's your journey been? You know, I know like, was it age eight, something happened to you at age eight, this experience? I mean, that's, that's not a common thing to happen to a kid. I mean, I could relate in a sense of I started speaking in my father's churches at, at age eight, but I didn't really meet that many uh, kids who were on a spiritual path or had some sort of spiritual experience. So like, how did you get to be doing what you're doing in terms of spiritual teacher, author, empathic healer? Uh, give me a bit of the, the background. Sure. Well, my goodness, I just... It's so amazing when you look back and see how many, how long it's been since you've been dedicated to something. And, and, you know, my life has been dedicated to the evolution of consciousness for, seems like most of my life. When I was eight, um, I had a dream one night, like any other night when I went to sleep. And I found myself in the most amazing garden. And the garden had these such beautifully exquisite flowers where the colors were, were bursting with this brightness 
where it was almost like just looking at the flowers, they were overflowing with this feeling of love. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I feel loved by my parents, but this is a whole different level of love. And I was raised as a kid who, if I wasn't in a very familiar surrounding, I felt a little scared. You know, I was raised in the 80s where the campaign was don't talk to strangers. And so for me to, in this garden experience, have this acknowledgement of I don't know where I am, but I feel safe. And that was actually really different for me. And I began walking through this field of flowers and I could feel my eight-year-old body trying to move through this thick, dense brush of these flowers. And simultaneously, I realized I was floating and hovering above myself. So I could feel myself Mm. moving through the field, but I was also floating above myself. Now at the time, didn't quite understand what that was. But the love was so intense that it didn't really matter. And then about 10 feet in front of me, I saw a being in a white robe with dark shoulder length hair and then a dark beard motioning me towards him. And there was just a palpable level of familiarity with this being. And I didn't move towards them. And then I started floating towards this being. And then I got a few feet from this being. And it looked like just pure white light was emanating out of both eyes. And for some reason, in my eight-year-old mind, I thought of those scary horror films where people kind of roll their eyes up into the back of their head. And that thought broke the state of the experience. And I fell through the garden. I mm. fell through the sky. And I fell back in my body. And it was only when I crashed back in my body did I realize I had left it. And then out of the corner of my eye, in my doorway, I saw that same being in this chalky white, now what I would call etheric spiritual material, motioning me towards him. And I looked directly at him and he disappeared. And so I fast forward to the next day. Mm. I went to a friend's house and they had this painting of this person in their living room. And I said, who's that? And my friend was laughing going, Matt, that's Jesus. Everyone knows that. And I was raised Jewish, so I really didn't have mm. <laughs> a big context. And I said, well, I don't know who that is, but I met him last night. And then that became <laughs> a big blasphemy. And I couldn't figure out why it was so forbidden for me to meet this person. And from that experience, it was like an activation happened. And mm. I began just as a kid knowing things without knowing why I knew them. But the things that I would know would feel more concrete, tangible, and true than anything I could learn. And I would have the feeling, and I would see in my peripheral vision, this vision of these angelic beings walking with me. And I knew they were my spirit guides. I didn't even know what a spirit guide was. And so this led from age eight to this great exploration to discovering that I'm an empathic healer. And like so many other that in your community, mine, and that we share in this global community, are sensitive to being able to feel the emotions of others. And once we really embrace these skills and we really develop our abilities as empaths, we can actually work as healers, not only for others, for our families and for the world at large. And so this really led to a lifelong odyssey that really ramped up in my early 20s where I got activated as a healer and the Ascended Masters and Archangels began putting me in situations to deliver messages. And it mm. went from individual sessions mm. to speaking in front of hundreds and thousands of people and doing these group healing events 
where I'm here to assist in the evolution of mankind and to help assist the earth in its ascension. And it's, it's everything that I channel and teach is always rooted in the vibration of love, the same love I felt all those years back when I was eight years old. I love that. When this was happening to you at, at eight, um, did you tell anyone about this? Did you tell your parents? Uh, were, you, were you scared at all? Were you, I mean, I mean, it's not a common experience. And so were you <laughs> wondering, hmm, is this really happening? Am I crazy? I mean, was there any of that fear as well? Tell me a bit, a bit about that. Yeah, you know, I had a very different experience because a lot of people have these experiences where they have otherworldly experiences, sensations, and perceptions. And it seems so different from the world that they know. Mm. For me, from the earliest age, the world that I came to visit here on Earth never made sense to me. I would always feel like this outsider looking in and didn't know how to really fit in. I, I, I didn't really know how to do this earth thing. And, I, and I'd always had a feeling that I was from another star system or a different planet. And, you know, I just did my best to kind of, you know, go along with what everyone else is doing, but I really never felt like I was ever at home. And so for me, when I had that experience, it wasn't like, oh my God, is this real? It gave me a moment of this is what I know real to be. This for me feels like reality. This actually feels like home. So I never had this feeling of not talking about it. It was because for me, it was just the most familiar and obvious and natural thing for my experience. And so I would tell my parents, like I told my parents this experience. And then of course, my dad was very intrigued. Both my parents have a background in spirituality to a certain degree. And my dad had actually had almost an identical experience that I had when he was in boot camp like 30 years before, where he visited a garden, he saw the, he saw the being with floating above the flowers. And, and at that moment when he told me that, I didn't quite get the connection, but it just showed me that there's such an inner connection between our lives and other people and what happens, what's meant to be. So it just kind of started to show me the inner connection of things. And yes. my parents would, you know, give me different books that they read in the 70s. And I would just basically flip through the books and just look at different phrases and words. You know, I was very spiritually interested and had absolutely no attention span. So mm. if, you, if you couldn't teach me through a video game, <laughs> it was pretty unlikely. But I remember when I was a kid and I was so ambitious, I remember saying to the universe, I don't know what the highest dimension is, but that's where mm. I'm going. And I would always just think like, what's the highest? What's the biggest? And mm. I, I always just had this desire to explore. And, you know, life is, life is like this Scooby-Doo cartoon. Let's push on the wall and find the hidden room and what's really under the floorboards. And I've always just had this curiosity. And when I came into this field to help other people heal, mm. I didn't, read books like other people read or have formal human teachers. I just had my own experiences. So over the course of like 14 years, I would do sessions with people where I would only know what they're talking about based on my intuition. And I would mm -hmm. listen to what they would say and what I would say back and forth. And for like 10 years, I put all the pieces together and figured out what all this is and the path of spirituality. And it, it helped me understand some of the more refreshing perspectives that I bring. Again, always in my mind, feeling as if 
if there's going to be a truth, there has to be a loving way to approach all of this. And even when we're trying to heal something in the name of bringing ourselves relief, if we're not treating ourselves and even our symptoms and even our diagnosis, if we're not treating that with the utmost respect, honor, care, and love, it's mm. often why we find ourselves hitting these roadblocks where we're trying too hard to get to the different outcome, but we're not really showing ourselves and our true nature the kind of respect and care and love that really is the cornerstone to any facet of transformation. And so that's what I'm really honored to bring to the conversation. I love that. What if someone, uh, I think what you said is right on. And so what if someone, let's say they're working with an issue, Matt, uh, a pattern, a dynamic, a, an aspect of themselves that they might say, man, I, I hate this part of myself. I hate yeah. that I'm this way. Or, you know, I, I have this addiction and, 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 and I just, it's, it's unacceptable because, because, you know, I'm genuinely hurting people, you know, I'm hurting myself. Yeah. And so let's say someone is, is in that place. And I think sometimes we, we beat ourselves up in the name of, you know, healing and transforming ourselves, which seems yeah. to just keep us in the cycle. So if someone's in that stuck place where they're going, where they're looping, and they, they, they're hearing you and they're understanding, okay, I need to love, love this aspect. I need to love this part. But, but I just freaking can't. Right. You know, I know I should. Right. Uh, but but, I, but I, I freaking can't for the life of me. And so right. uh, how do they uh, begin unhooking themselves from that, that treadmill? You know, that, 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 yeah. that what's it, the, the, the loop you know, the wheel, the Ferris wheel. How yeah, do they start that unhooking process? Well, I think, you know, it's much like when we're thinking of parenting a child. You know, when children act out, it's not, you know, sometimes it's because their desires are more important than their conduct. And, you know, that's the innocence of how children behave. But really, when we see children acting out certain behaviors, a really wise parent is going to say, what is my, ch my child trying to communicate with me? why is it getting my attention? And, and from a very open-minded, exploratory perspective, you know, oftentimes it's very common for people to get to the, I hate that I do this. And unfortunately, that's going to stop the exploration um, because our personal image, our ego can't stand being someone who's capable of acting in a way that doesn't make us feel lovable, desirable, and, and so if we really start going underneath the surface and we're really treating symptoms and patterns like a child in pain, as that wise parent, we say, hmm, what is this pattern trying to tell me? Why is it getting my attention? And there's oftentimes where we can actually bring our attention to the part of our body that we associate with the pattern. You know, we ask ourselves, when I feel this pattern in my body, where do I feel it? So the first thing I like to do is, you know, instead of labeling it and judging it, we locate it. So where in my body do I feel the suffering caused by this pattern or where the pattern is housed? And if we just feel for a moment, maybe it's our heart, maybe it's our stomach, maybe it's our head. And then we just isolate that part and just almost like having a conversation with it. And we ask it like we're asking a child. Now that you have my attention, you know, no judgment, no punishment. What is it that you need from me in order to heal? 
And all too often, you know, sometimes there will be an answer and we can dialogue further. It wants love. It wants acceptance. Uh, but sometimes there are, for a lot of people, there will be no answer. And the reason is because the no answer is that innocent part that says, I just want to know that I have a right to exist in your reality. And oftentimes it's that small aspect of self, the ego, that feels like it is losing its purpose in your reality as the soul starts to merge into the embodiment of your physical body. And so often like raising a child, a wise parent wants to let a child know, yes, there is a new sibling coming into town, but this is your opportunity to be a big brother and sister and you're not going to be less important because you're not getting all of the attention. This is where we get to play very specific roles and all get to work together for the betterment of our family and in our bodies, our consciousness, our ego, our hearts, our higher self. It makes up a family that when we have a conscious heart-centered relationship with all of our parts, the family structure within our own being can be cooperative instead of competitive. And it can just flow in a state of unity and interdependence. But it's our job as the governing consciousness, like the parent would be to the child, to make sure that all parts feel honored, adored, and seen. And when not, we often act out the very patterning that feels very self-defeating just as a way of getting our attention and letting us know what part needs to be seen and heard further. I really, it's interesting what you just said. When there's no, so when there's no answer, when we ask the question, yes. what is it we need? When there's no answer, just want to clarify that, that that's, that's not a bad thing, correct? No. It's, 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 really that aspect is not giving us an answer because it's just really wanting the right to exist. That's right. It's, it's almost as if when there's no answer, that's the end. Because again, even the ego is a manifestation of consciousness. So it is being governed by a, a wisdom, even though it acts out from a lack of wisdom or a presence of impulse. But like when there's no answer, it's really the wisdom within the inner child saying, I may not be giving you an answer, but the silence lets you know I'm listening. Kind of like when people meditate and they go, I'm not hearing the universe speak to me. And yet the silence we can tune into in meditation is not the absence of wisdom. It is the presence of a universe listening and being present with our experience. So when we don't get an answer, because we're all very much used to, I need content to know that I'm having a conversation, but when there's yes. no response, that means either the inner child or the universe is in an active state of listening mm. and deepening and developing trust with you to let you in further to help in its transformation. Love that. Yeah, because I think many times when there's no answer, we, we start freaking out. You know, right. some, something's wrong. Right. Right. And, and uh, that's beautiful. That's Thank beautiful. You. you mentioned ego. Yes. Uh, there's lots of thoughts on the ego, Matt, as you know, in the, in the spiritual uh, field. I would love for you to just clarify, mm. when you say ego, what do you mean? And ego has gotten mm, quite a bad rap, you know, in, in the spiritual sort of field. And yeah. get rid of ego, transcend ego, kill the ego. Right. In order to get sort of get to some state of enlightenment. And so when you say ego, what do you mean? And what... 
what is the purpose of ego? What, what, what do we do with this thing? You know, what, <laughs> what do we do? With, what do we do with this thing? Right. I know it's, it's, yeah. a, it's an amazing thing, you know, and it's interesting. I didn't learn about the bad reputation that the ego had until I got into the spiritual path and learned about other paths. And, and I respect other people's approach. It's just one of those things where I have a governing rule mm. in the way I teach. And that's if it, if it's not how you would talk to a child in pain, then you sh- it's not the way you should speak to yourself. So when I work with a lot of people and they have a very negative relationship with their ego, you know, that that's going to create a lot of, uh, discord it's going to create a lot of inner conflict because we have a part of ourselves that says i only know how to get your attention through opposition and and through acting in a way that that is um you know it's going to get your attention by any means necessary and so i think that you know on the spiritual path one of the first things we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to be smarter than our egos and at a a certain point the ego is just a series of patterning uh the way i would describe the egos i would say it's the spectrum of maturity that we embody and express through our words and actions depending upon how safe or unsafe we feel so through the eyes of compassion when someone's in a really extraordinarily dense ego, whether they're being obnoxious, passive aggressive, negative, uh, overbearing to another person, you know, and then and then of course the the patterning goes further into violently hurting other people and some really ugly things. But when we see people who are acting out from ego, compassion says, how unsafe must they feel in their experience? in order for them to express their conduct from such a lack of maturity. So we have an ability to be aware of people's egos. And as we become more heart-centered beings, other people's egos don't put us on our egos so that our egos aren't Mm. lashing out at other people's egos, or of course, turning our own ego onto ourselves, where the spiritual ego likes to use Mm -hmm. a lot of its spiritual wisdom as a way of micromanaging and kind of berating itself. And so, through the eyes of compassion, you know, it's a beautiful thing when we can say, hmm, like watching a child, there my child is acting totally out of conduct. And if you're a parent, you look at a child and you go, hmm, have they napped today? What do they need? Right? But as adults, we don't think of it like that. We think of it, how dare they, that silly ego. And, you know, (laughs) through the eyes of compassion, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to have people in your life as your best friends and justify holding onto relationships that are way past its expiration point. But it's one of those things where when people are acting out, it's obvious that they have not gotten their own attention. So now the other person's ego is just sending out a call saying, look, if there's anyone of consciousness here that can just help me, right? And so as an energetically sensitive being, I see people when they're in their egos, you know, I see it on the news, I see it in politics, I see it on social media. And that shows me someone who doesn't feel safe And so that's where I send healing energy that says, may you find the safety to ground into present moment time and allow the spectrum of infinite maturity to convey through your words, thoughts, and actions. And that's, that's how I respond to ego. Mm. Can, can one live without ego in this 
human domain as a human being? And if so, what does that look like? Well, I think that what we wind up living with is an integrated ego. So if we think of integration, it's more Mm -hmm. of like an ego that goes through a reforming, maturing process. It's an ego Mm -hmm. that goes through a depth of transformation um, where they they come out, you know, still with a personality and still with Mm -hmm. choice making. But Mm -hmm. the ego is now a sovereign expression of the higher self instead of a block to the emerging awakening consciousness. So, so I think really we're meant to live with egos, but to be, you know, to have an integrated ego to where the ego is the servant to the, to the consciousness within us, not this thing that's trying to battle or compete with that consciousness. And again, the path of surrender that we go through dark night of the soul awakening, all these different things is to, is for us to hold space. It's not, us letting go it's us holding space for the ego to let go of that grip of control so it can finally find the safety it's yearning for and then as it does it turns inward and it discovers us the consciousness as its master guide and it turns inward and bows to its master guide and then we have an integrated ego where we can be divinely human beings, not flip-flopping between Mm -hmm. highs and lows, but pure expressions of spirit as the open window through which heaven's light comes in to transform this planet. Mm. Beautiful. Integrated egos. Integrated ego. Because, because no ego, honestly, no ego is a concept. Yes. If you had no ego, you'd walk out of your house without pants on and you would, (laughs) right? Like people go, oh, no ego, because they're in these very fancy spiritual teachings, which I respect. Mm. But no ego is just basically saying ego is the problem. So I want no problem. But no ego is not the answer. I mean, if you see people that go through extraordinary moments of mental illness, you know, those are moments when people's egos are not existing and they aren't able to function in a world that makes themselves or anyone feel safe. So it's not about getting rid of an ego. It's about transforming the ego, just like it's not about getting rid of a broken earth. It's about, yeah. trans- it's about transforming it. So, so really the answer is not about getting rid of anything. It's about transforming it with the love that we cultivate on a spiritual path. Mm. Why is surrender? You mentioned surrender. Yeah. Why, why, why is it so scary for us? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and here's the question, Matt. Yeah. How the hell do we do it? Yeah, great question. <laughs> I think it's so scary. And this is, this is what I can feel the answer right now because everything I say changes. But I think one of the reasons it's scary is because when you surrender, you're surrendering to being open to something beyond your known ideas and conclusions. And I think we have these cellular memories from our upbringing and our childhood that says, when I was the most open and unguarded and precocious, boy, did I receive some unexpected backlash (laughs) Rejection. Maybe I was too loud in the space of one of my parents after having a long day and I got verbally berated. Maybe I had physically assaulted. And we walk around with all of these memories that say, here's why it's unsafe to be totally open. And when you go through surrender, life is saying, we are asking you to be totally open mm-hmm. and unguarded in spite 
of what you remember happening when you were young and impressionable. And so it gives us a chance to really face the most vulnerable parts of ourselves that are truly afraid, that are truly scared, that are intimidated, the part of us that wants to be all things to all people just to try to make sure everyone likes us because we have this weird fantasy that if everyone likes me, no one's going to leave me and no Mm. one's going to turn on me. And so we all live our lives in these very miniature political arenas on a social level, trying to make sure that everyone's okay with us so we can be the furthest away from rejection and pain and uh, abuse and abandonment. And yet, when we wake up, the reason we can be open and vulnerable without it becoming some sort of death sentence or some sort of dangerous thing is because when we were kids, our consciousness was there guiding us through experiences but we weren't aware of it. And as we wake up and surrender, we are saying, I'm now aware of the light within and around me. And now that I'm aware of it, I can actually be open and it doesn't have to lead to victimhood. And the way we surrender, and again, it's such an interesting path because people think of it like, we sometimes think of it like, the logic we use to put together a table that we buy at Ikea, right? You get the table, you get the instructions, probably in a language you don't understand, and you do your best to put it together. But Mm. surrender is not that logical. Surrender is a process where we, the only thing that gets us through it is loving ourselves every step of the way and being totally honest. And honesty says, I wish I had the ability to be open right now, but I acknowledge how afraid I am. And so some Mm. people would hear that and think that's a failure because they couldn't do it. But all life wants you to do is just to admit the limits of your capacity. And magically, every time you admit what you are unable to do, that gives the universe space and permission to do through you and for you what you admit you can't do on your own. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hearing like even even the willingness to 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 love the part of us that is unable to love in the moment. You yes, know? and 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 that opens up a, a space for healing. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, just loving, loving the loving ourselves as we are, as even we if are. even yeah. if it makes us feel undesirable, unlovable, yeah. physically, un attractive you know this is this is this is a path where we really start to take off that social mask we look ourselves in the mirror whether literally or metaphorically and we just are able to say here's the one that is only going to be healed by only the love that i can give it and we take the journey as authentically as we need to but we really come to terms with what this one needs in order to feel better is only a gift that I can give. And even if it's just one moment of looking yourself in the mirror or one moment of saying, God, I wish I didn't feel this way, but this part deserves love. We just start to make these shifts very slowly and sooner or later, very small shifts become very huge strides. And we find ourselves 
with this foundation of acceptance and love, not because we should, or forgiveness, not because we should, but because we're taking this journey so authentically. And what mm-hmm. I have found is that only through love, loving yourself and allowing yourself to be loved, only through love can we actually take this journey so authentically and find ourselves truly becoming the tangible physical presence of heaven's perfection and glory. And so while everyone wants to kind of rush to the end result, (laughs) it's really a journey that takes time and it takes self-respect to really kind of come to terms with who we really are. Yeah. I I love that. I love that. I think many times we're, we're just looking for the shortcut you yeah. know, and, and just trying to hack our way through to the end result. But uh, yeah. the process is the process. Yeah. Um, I heard a word as we were talking about surrender and ego mm. it stuck, stuck in my mind, Matt, as you were talking. So choice making, like as we become yeah. integrated egos, uh, it's not like this idea that we, we just lose our choice. Right. I think that's, that's a fear for a lot of people that we're just going to be some automaton robot with no choice and no personality. And, uh, and, and so what I'm hearing from you is that's not the case. And right. so talk to me about how much choice do we have? Like, mm-hmm. you know, w- w- one side of the spectrum, or you could say the spiritual teaching is, you know, you create your reality, you know, right. you, thought, you make everything happen. Everything's right. happening because you thought it and don't think that. And everything that shows up is you thought it. And so right. it puts this real, uh, it almost like reinforces the egoic nature inside of us. You know, that sense of the <laughs> ego gets empowered. Like, yes, I'm in charge and I'm in control of everything. <laughs> right. So that's right. one camp. And so then the other camp seems like, okay, we'll just surrender into the flow, allow things to happen. And, yeah. and so from your perspective, how much choice do we have? Free will, destiny, how much of life just unfolds in my life over the years uh, through the process of just trying to will my way through life, kind of realizing, wow, when I let go and many times, in fact, a lot of the times, the best things in life just just unfolded without, without trying and the best things in life were totally unexpected, you know? Always. And, and uh how much are we in control of our lives? Well, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, such a great question. I, you know, mm. so I'll, I'll give you an example that will kind of explain, you know, destiny and free will. Yeah. Um, so let's say, and this is just a hypothetical thing, and I'm someone who, you know, my last couple of years of my life, last 10 years, I've really kind of dived into health and wellness and really mm. trying to dial in what's really good for my body and what my body wants. And it changes sometimes. And sometimes I go like strictly plant-based and then it changes and, you know, just, just on, on my own little health adventure. But mm. let's say hypothetically, I, I, I go to a, a restaurant, right? And um, I look at the menu. And I know in my heart of hearts, let's say I'm at a period of my life where plant-based alkaline eating is what feels best to my digestive system, puts me in the best mood, makes me feel the best, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I look at the menu and I have options that represent the way I used to eat with my family when I was a kid. And I have one plant-based option that I know is filled with nutrition and all the new stuff I'm learning to eat and all this stuff. Now, if I'm truly in a surrendered place, and again, we, it's not about being perfect, but you look at those options and you go, I'm going to read this menu probably five times, but I already know I'm going to order. Because <laughs> what feels the best is this 
And there's one option here that matches that. And so when I make choices, like it's a video game, there are choices that add points to the score and there are choices that deduct points for the score based on, you know, how many allergens I'm going to ingest and how much it's going to slow down my digestion. So it's funny when people say I have no choice, the cleverness in the teaching like a Zen riddle is that it's not actually wrong that you don't have a choice. It's that wisdom becomes so obvious and you become so aligned with what you need that you look at five options, but there are no options. It's just, I found what one matches my needs for the moment. So when you're truly aligned it's kind of like there's no choice because what you will do is so obvious. And at the same time, we have so many options to choose from when we're at the stage of learning how and what it means to be aligned. And when we're aligned, there are choices that add points to the score and there are choices that take points away from the score. And maybe it's the weekend and you've been doing amazing and you've been nail in your diet just to keep the metaphor and you know it's the saturday and you want to blow off a little steam and you go well that choice is going to take 500 points off of my score but jesus i've got so much equity i could lose 500 points cool go for it and then we just watch is that choice point going to start happening more and more If, if so we watch it a little bit so there are choices and choices will determine how aware or unaware we will be in any given moment. The choices don't necessarily make outcomes happen. Outcomes are kind of markers that are established prior to birth. Our choices is to, is to align with options that give us the greatest amount of harmony, balance, well-being, and awareness so that we can feel the safest through the change and adaptation life brings to us. So we can be excited by new horizons instead of intimidated by the things we can't anticipate. So really choices determine the quality of your living experience while the outcomes that are meant to happen are predetermined markers to guarantee that you will go through the very transformative experience of becoming who you were destined to be. So there's always destiny and free will simultaneously Mm. but the ego's biggest fantasy is i can make a choice to make certain things happen and then we go to the law of attraction the way it's typically taught and you know someone goes i hereby manifest a parking space in the front space of whole foods market and they go to whole foods market and and the space is waiting for them up front and they go I just manifested that. But the question about manifestation is, was it that there was no parking space? And once you called it out to the ethers, the person in the store hurried up and paid for their groceries and got in their car and drove away to give you that space? Or was it the fact that that space was predetermined to always be there for you? Your intuition told you about the space that you're about to manifest. You then manifested as a way of acknowledging what your intuition was showing you, and you simply pulled into the parking lot to take the space that was always meant for you. See, that to me feels more of what manifestation really is. It's about being aligned mm-hmm. with your intuition, not this lofty idea that nothing exists until I say it does. That's, 
Mm. That's, that's when the wheels fall off the wagon. So, okay, this is really, really cool. So, so you're saying the outcomes yeah. are established prior to birth. Mm-hmm. So what I heard you say, like, so, so you're saying that there's certain things uh, that are predetermined. Yes. Uh, are we talking about like when someone meets their soulmate? We're talking yes. about like uh, uh, someone getting cancer, you know, being a part of a pandemic. I mean, business yeah. falling apart. Like, tell me more about that because for some people hearing that, Matt, they might think, well, shit, well, what, what, what's the point of even, you know, that seems a little fatalistic if you're saying, I'm just doomed to never have right. a soulmate. I'm doomed <laughs> right. to, 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 you know, to just lose a child. I'm doomed to be fat for the rest of my life. I'm doomed to right. uh, get cancer. Like, clarify that. Clarify that. Because, you know, it, it seems like some mm-hmm. people might argue and say, no, Matt, I, I just through the sheer uh, will of my own, you know, determination i have right. willed myself into from from being uh adopted and homeless and 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 and, sure. and 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 physically challenged to being a billionaire and so i just i just want some more clarification for those listening because what i don't want people to feel is shit i'm just i'm just screwed it's of just course screwed. so give, give me some some understanding and nuance there yeah i would say there are probably seven to nine maybe ten to twelve major milestones in all of our lifetimes that are the predetermined markers of this is the moment that changed the course of my life for better, for worse, how I look at it. Mm. And in between these 10 to 12 markers and milestones, maybe one is the moment you're born, maybe something happened in childhood, maybe it's something happened in school, the moment you met your beloved soulmate, God forbid the moment that person passes away. I mean, there's so many variety of experiences that we have. There are just these, it's not like every outcome is predetermined. It's that these 12 to 15 major marker milestones are predetermined as a way of making sure that you are constantly staying course on your journey. It's kind of like if you go bowling and you have those bumper lanes that kids use where no matter where the bowling ball ebbs and mm-hmm. flows, the bumper lane always keeps it going down the center towards the pins. Yeah. So not every outcome is predetermined. And even if like, for example, one of those markers was someone starting out a life of homelessness. And again, through the law of polarity and through proper storytelling, a life that's going to end up in abundance is going to start off in in humble beginnings. And it's that person's determination that utilized that upbringing as an opportunity to become something far greater. But it was that milestone marker of childhood that really established that inspiration. And so I wouldn't say every single outcome is predetermined. I would just say that there are major events that are predetermined. Like for example, we're all experiencing COVID-19 and we all have very interesting perceptions and beliefs about that. This was completely predetermined. And I think that also as evidence of this, if we think of something like intuition or deja vu, where if you've ever had a dream of some random moment, and then a year later you live it out and you go, how did I know that a year and a half ago? Mm. It's because there's a part of us in our intuition that is in a quantum level of wisdom, a quantum level of intelligence that knows and is being prepared. Hey, this is going to happen, but here's the opportunity it provides you that when mixed with your focus, your drive, your determination, 
all fueled by the love and acceptance you can give yourself, you can take a, a major milestone marker and you can use it to transform yourself. You could either use it through your choice to say, this confirms that I'm never going to amount to anything, or you can say, this is giving me an opportunity to not settle for anything less than what I can bring forth. So these major milestone markers is basically just like the clay and yeah. we are choice points as the artists are molding the clay and deciding what art are we going to make with the experiences that come to us. And that's really what changes when we go from victim consciousness into awakened consciousness. It's not a matter of what happens to us. It's what are we going to make of it, not only to express the beauty of our own true nature, but as a contribution to other people's lives as well. Mm, what art are we going to make with this clay? Yes. Can, 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 can we, or is it possible to shift the clay? Mm. these milestone markers you're talking about. I'm hearing you. I'm really listening, right? And yeah. I'm going, hmm. How do we shift? Is it possible to shift this, the, the clay? Is it yes. possible to shift these, you said 10 to 12 yeah. kind of milestone markers in our lives? Is it possible to get to a point where we can shift that kind of karmic, you know, yeah. a point in our life where we can transcend it, shift it so it doesn't happen? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, there are so many different dimensions. Like there's the eighth dimension. Eighth dimension is such a transcendent level of reality where everything that is of the, of thought of as the future has already occurred. And, and, and in the eighth dimension, the present moment is actually the past. Um, you know, and that what we think of as now is not now. It's just our experience of the past presented as now, which is a very transcendent and mind-bending perspective. Um, but what's interesting is that in order to access that kind of a level of transcendent reality, we have to come into such acceptance for, the mild, for, for those markers and clay the way they've been given. Because the problem is, is that when we're trying to shift things and make sure things don't happen, we're in a state of avoidance. We're right. bypassing. And then the universe is not going to give you access to a higher reality when it's governed and based on a level of consciousness that you're meant to outgrow. So mm -hmm. really what's interesting is that, you know, someone could go to a third world country and see a village impoverished. And one person could say, my God, how do they live like that? And then another person looks into the eyes of these beings and says, my God, could I ever know such love and family connection like they have? So some person can go into a third world country and be horrified. Another person can go and be envious. And it's because we're all looking at it from different perspectives. And so what I think when we think of the universe as the quantum mind of divinity is that there are parallel dimensions where these markers and experiences are played out in very different ways. But I think that because our consciousness has an impact, a positive impact on the reality in perception, it's not that we change the markers to avoid what happens. It's that we create a different experience of each milestone by the way we choose to see it. Got it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, wow. I have a few more questions for you, man. This is sure. a beautiful conversation. Um, 
and I love that you bring a sort. So it's almost like I'm feeling as though you, the way you see things just brings a. a you see things from a different perspective, which I'm yeah. really enjoying, you know, Thank and you. in terms of, you know, being an empathic healer, spiritual teacher, uh, for what, 16, 15, 16 years now yeah. not, on the path of your whole life. Are there any, uh, or what are some of the, we'll call them myths, right? Spiritual myths that perhaps <laughs> as human beings, you know, we've, we've bought into, yeah. um, on the spiritual path, shit we're sold, things we read about that are just, that you've realized through your own work with clients and mm -hmm. just within your own self that just, they're just myths that we're pre sort of preconceived ideas that we're just believing but really aren't true. I would love for you to shed some light on any, any of the, the important myths you feel we need to, in order to evolve spiritually, yeah. that we need to uh, kind of bust through, release, let go of. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question. I, you know, there's so many myths out there. And again, a myth is just something that in the old paradigm was true because it created this kind of, you know, glass ceiling of potential. And at that point, people weren't mm -hmm. really close to the top of it. And now we're at a point in history where we have to redefine a lot of things because we have grown and evolved in such ways. And I think there's so much on the spiritual path that really reeks of superstition. Mm. Um, if I do this, this will happen. If this happened, it's because of what I either did or didn't do. So I think if we really boil down the basic premise of an untrue spiritual myth, the basic equation is going to be three words, blame the experiencer right? And whether it's some healer going, oh, you don't feel the healing energy I just sent you, you must be in a state of resistance. Or, oh, you didn't manifest instantaneously the thing that you desired, you must not have a high vibration. Or, mm. oh, what is it about your past that caused this to happen? Oh, Jesus, I didn't get the raise at the office because I pulled my sister's hair when I was five years old. Or, oh, I had a past life and I abused my power. Like, we all can't be evil emperors. We all can't be like people who did bad things and we we psychologically um therapize ourselves by thinking there must have been something i did to yeah. cause this to happen or there must have been something i didn't do to cause this not to happen and it's a basic framework of reward and punishment but we live in a universe of all rewards and no punishment so the simple solution and this is going to sound so basic but when when it hits you on the deepest level, nothing is our fault. Everything is our opportunity. And so when we start thinking of, because I'm judging this experience as pain and I'm interpreting it as a punishment, what devious thing must I have done to bring this punishment upon me? And then we're kind of projecting the relationship we had with our family onto the universe. And you can explore till the end of time but if you're coming from a distorted perspective, you're just going to go into distortion for an infinite amount of time. And the good thing is that when you get really far spun out, mm -hmm. your consciousness is, is, is created and destined to awaken. So to create that U-turn and bring you back into reality that says, nothing happens because of anything you or anyone else did. It's not a punishment. 
everything is an opportunity that is constantly sending a signal to help you remember who you were born to be. And as you resonate with the willingness to grow beyond the comfort of known realities, and you're willing to say, I am more comfortable in my potential than I am lost in my past, as we go through the process, we start to resonate with the very different choices and options that allows this clay to be molded into the work of heart that we're all here to create and express for the benefit of all. Mm. Got it. Got it. It's definitely uh, a more enlivening yeah. way, way of seeing things. Yeah. This whole idea of just reward and punishment uh, yeah. really can, be, can create a, a sense of contraction. Uh, can you just clarify, you said we live in a universe of all reward and no punishment. Did That's I hear right. that accurately? Like, that is absolutely true. Clarify that statement. Sounds like a party, man. It will. You know, it can be a party. <laughs> but even, even if you look at someone who has, I mean, let's just take a drastic example. Yeah. Someone who, whose unprocessed pain was projected onto someone they knew or loved or someone they didn't even know. And they wind up hurting someone physically, being arrested, and now find themselves living out a life sentence in prison with no possibility of parole. Mm. And after they get through the intensity of, this is where I now live, these are my neighbors, and I am not going to ever be outside of this, these prison walls ever again, and I will die in here. Mm. Once that, and, and I've actually counseled people during prison sentences. Um, it's a really intense thing. Um, I'm also blessed to say that there are prison programs that, that use my, 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 my books and I'm just, you know, what a touching and honorable thing to yeah. be able to help reform people. But imagine being someone who's in that level of confinement and after the intensity and the danger and all that stuff starts to just become everyday life, imagine that person saying, I did the unthinkable and I don't know how to forgive myself for it, but I'm in this confining place where I have nothing to do but look at myself. And by looking at myself, I actually evolve and grow the parts of me that didn't know how to be seen or heard without trying to hurt other people because people hurt other people to avoid being hurt by other people. So imagine someone in prison opening up to the grace that says, I did something so unthinkable, I don't know how to be accepting of myself and I've been put in this environment where all I get to do is grow and evolve beyond what used to influence me. And so even in that example, the ability to grow and evolve in the most harsh conditions is still a gift and reward. And to realize we live in a universe where no matter what has been done and will be done, there is a transformational rehabilitation process where the universe will begin awakening the consciousness of beings to make sure no other being is hurt or harmed by their will and choices. And it's a drastic example to show yeah. us no matter what we do in our lives, the yeah. universe will respond with, and because of what you did, there will be no trial. There will just be the reforming and purification of your soul, and you will work for the force that has transformed you no matter what you have done to others or what others have done to you. 
It's powerful. 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 Yeah. You really feel the grace, you know, as you're talking, the grace and the com- sort of the, the, the unconditionality yes. of, of the divine. Uh, but you did trigger a thought, Matt. Yeah. And uh, this, this might be a, a, a tough example, but I, sure. I, I want to throw it out there because I think uh, it's stirring in the consciousness of the collective in the moment. Yeah. Okay. And it is a tough example, but let's go there. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Right. And yes, let's go there. Pedophilia, Jeffrey. I mean, uh, as all this stuff comes to surface, it's sort of, sh- it's kind of, look, it's shocking. I mean, shocking. It's like, shocking like what the hell is mm-hmm. this this you know i mean i think most people are saying this is not acceptable to, to, it's, not. to it's just not acceptable but now it's i'm not. hearing you say well love whatever right you know just yeah. in acceptance and so I, I really like how do how does that how does the jeffrey epstein type of situations pedophilia i mean shit mm-hmm. that is just seems wrong what's so wrong so how how do we as humans come to an understanding of this and how do we how do we find a space of true not just bullshit compassion i mean true compassion for this when it seems like it's just unacceptable i mean i think this would really help a lot of people right now I'm glad you brought it up. And I was, as you were saying it, I was intuitively going, I hope you bring up child sex trafficking (laughs) because, because as a human being, Mm. it is something I am, I am so passionately against. Now I'm a very loving person. I'm a very Mm. compassionate person, but that doesn't mean I can't be against something. Mm. There are, there is a movement. I don't care how small it is where people are trying to normalize pedophilia and make it like it's an alternative sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And I will never stand for that under any circumstances whatsoever. Mm. But what's interesting and again, I, I haven't dove down the rabbit hole of every documentary on this subject. I will say I know enough to know enough, and I know things that when I read about them uh, traumatized me and took me a moment to, to – uh, like I, there were things that I've heard about that caused me to not be able to sleep at night. And have and and when I've been traumatized by these things, I think to myself, "Thank God I'm being traumatized because it reminds me of my humanity and it reminds me that I am a part of the solution." And these things should traumatize us because they are very unimaginably horrific what children and people have gone through just in the same way that when I was raised as a child in a Jewish tradition, I couldn't fathom or understand something called the Holocaust and something to that degree on a sexual level has been occurring on this, you know, earth plane for God knows how many years. And it's unimaginable. It's unthinkable. But when, but part of the game that unconsciousness plays because unconsciousness at its core is afraid of the light. Mm-hmm. And it does things 
thinking that it's going to do something so grotesque and gruesome that not even the light would welcome it back so that the dark can stay confined in its patterning. And it's really trying to push the light away because the darkness is the most afraid of dying to the unknown of the light. And the light is the unconditional love that waits for even the shadow to step into the presence of reality. So sometimes what happens, and this is so unimaginable to think, people are doing such horrific things. And part of the game plan is that they will do such horrific things that when someone starts uncovering it, they'll be so appalled by what they find that their humanity will turn them away from looking and they can maintain their patterning. And so when we look at something like Jeffrey Epstein, we look at trafficking, and I have worked with the universe recently. I was called into a, a, a program, was called into a moment where I was asked, I've never spoken about this, I was asked in order to create a portal on this earth where the archangels and ascended masters could enter this world and start transforming separation into unity consciousness to allow every child that has ever been abused to allow the soul of anyone that has ever been murdered by this patterning and to allow the heart of every pedophile and every murderer and abuser to go through the transformation process to become the light so that no one can be harmed again. Will you, Matt Kahn, offer forgiveness? And because my heart is rooted in sparing victims and healing people affected and making sure my number one priority, I'm not a parent, but I, I feel like a parent to this earth. My priority is no one will be hurt again. And I had to forgive this mm. less than a week ago. And I felt into my heart and I knew in order to create a world where no one else is hurt, here's where I have to go. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean it's okay. It's not okay. There's nothing okay about this. Can I take this step and on behalf of the universe with ascended masters surrounding me and protecting me i offered that forgiveness for the sole purpose of healing victims transforming souls in the afterlife and clearing this pattern out of the earth plane so that we don't get so it doesn't weigh us down in, in this ascension process and when i did this i could see and feel the souls of people who have done these kinds of horrific acts and they had no idea that someone of the light would be able to offer them that in spite of what they did. And it was almost like a turning around of their consciousness because it was so unbelievably foreign to them. It's almost like there are some people that believe that they are only deserving of the darkest and the worst who are participating in the darkness and the worst, expecting that to be the end result. And when someone of the light who says, I will do this only to spare more people of this horror can come from such a place of love that it outsmarts every defense mechanism of darkness, that's when even darkness has no option but to turn towards the light. And because my life is dedicated to preserving the innocence and manifesting the sovereignty for every sentient being, as much as all of this disgusts and disturbs me, I had to come from a deeper place 
to accelerate the timeline of this earth. And even recently, I moved into a new house and I had someone installing something in my house. We started talking and he started talking about he has a, <clears throat> a warrant out. And it turns out he was, he got in trouble for some sort of sexual crime when he was younger and he now has to register as a sex offender. And here I am in my house mm -hmm. face to face with a registered sex offender who has to go to prison to face some, some you know, to face because he broke parole and what's he going to do with his daughter? And at the end of him installing something in my garage, I turned to him and I said, may you begin making the choices that makes you into the man you are wanting your daughter to marry. And he almost burst into tears and I gave him a hug and I said, it's going to be okay. Mm. My job, my job is to be sickened to enough to use every tool inside of me to make this world better than how I found it. And for me, that's a balance. That's a balance of becoming aware of what's going on, but not so lost in what's going on that I lose perspective for the gifts I'm here to give for all beings. And all of us have something to give on a very high level. And I'm not asking every person to do what I've done. Mm. I was asked by a universe and ascended masters to do this, and I knew what was on the line. But we all have to be able to say, if I'm sickened by the things that I can't personally control, meaning if you can't go underground and find tunnels and free children, what can you do vibrationally? What can you do politically? What can you do philanthropically to make sure that every day you are soothing your nervous system by being a part of the, the positive change that is helping to preserve the innocence and to inspire the sovereignty of a consciously awakening planet. And that's what love gives to each of us in every breath. Mm. I love it. I love yeah. it. Now we're going through uh, just you know, some, some, some intense and accelerated times right now on, on planet Earth, to say the least. Uh, we're in a moment of COVID-19, pandemic, quarantines, yeah. lockdowns. Uh, <laughs> people are losing their minds and challenged and businesses yeah. are challenged. And it's challenging for people on planet Earth as, as human beings. And so uh, for those that are feeling challenged, which is probably most of the planet right now, it, well, just... Provide, share, share your perspective. Like what, what's your perspective of what is going on? Why, like, why are we going through this moment on planet <laughs> earth right now? What, what, like, why does it have to be this way? And, and it's, it's challenging. Uh, you know, lives yeah. are being turned upside down in America. You know, the unemployment rate is 20 some percent. I mean, it's just, it's intense. And so yeah. I would love for you just to be able to provide some uh, spiritual understanding so that we can maybe uh, come into a deeper sense of peace and alignment and cooperation with the reality that's unfolding. Well, of course, you know, I'm not a very religious person, but you know, in, in the, uh, the book of Revelation, it talks about the end times and Armageddon. And Armageddon is really the destruction of the old. So Armageddon is really quite, you know, the, basically Armageddon, is the ascension of earth depicted through the perspective of what the ego is losing, not what the soul is gaining. 
what we are experiencing is like the book of revelation the musical like this is these are end times but not end times for the earth these are end times for the part of our ego that is hidden from the love it seeks through micromanagement control and atrocity and unconsciousness unconsciousness only has the ability to manipulate and hurt a world when the collective is in an unconscious trajectory but because so many beings are waking up and oftentimes what triggers awakening is being put quickly or suddenly into an environment that is juxtaposed from your perception of normalcy so we have covid 19 now we all have to wear face masks today we wear a face masks tomorrow it's unhealthy to wear a face mask mm. next week we wear a face mask we go out in public we go back home we lock down you know, we, 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 we do this thing, COVID numbers are rising, but deaths are lowering. You know, who, you know, trying to keep track of this, that's not what this is all about. This is just to instigate an awakening of a greater consciousness. And of course, the ego is being tossed and turned back and forth, trying to find some degree of normalcy. But as we awaken and we soothe ourselves with love, the greater consciousness within us finds comfort in change, isn't it's not trying to find comfort and needing things to be one way or the other. And so we have all these things happening, right? COVID-19, the exposing of child trafficking, murder, murder hornets, you know, yeah. what else is it going to be? And it's, it's all on a very large level ushering in what is the ascension of humanity, which is the beginning where not just enlightened beings live on a planet amongst unconscious people, but where the population of the world a large percentage begins waking up in consciousness, right? The returning of the second coming of the Messiah. It's not, it's where the I am reawakens as unity, as we. It's not just one, it's the one in all. So we are all going through this collective awakening. We are all together as one, the returning of the Messiah. We are all bringing heaven's glory and light to this planet Currently, what we are seeing is a collective dark night of the soul scenario where in order for there to be space on this earth for light to dawn, we have to first clear out the density and purge all of the unprocessed pain and all of the deceptions and things that have been stuffed into the closet. Right now, it's all coming to the light. And so we have to just do the best we can to stay grounded and balanced and heart-centered while we are not only holding space for earth to ascend into fifth dimensional consciousness. But at the same time, we are supporting ourselves into such a higher vibrational reality that we are actually helping to accelerate the consciousness for all sentient beings so we can live on a planet where we can evolve without taking it out on ourselves or other people, where we can actually explore various levels and dimensions of light without needing the opposite darkness or shadow in order to inspire our light to shine. Mm. 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 Beautiful. Ah, it's a beautiful time, man. Yeah, as, I hear, as, I, as I hear you, you know, frame things that way and shed some light, it is the opportunity for us to evolve, I think, has never been greater than this moment we are in right now. And I, I can't help but feel that we've all agreed, our souls, we've all agreed to be here at this yeah. time to evolve together, you know, and uh, it's challenging, but it's also uh, a blessing. Uh, definitely, indeed.
it's almost on an everyday basis. There's a time every day where I stop and I just cry. Um, mm. and, I, and I cry tears of joy for the honor of being here. I cry tears of joy for the honor of helping to make this world into a place where future generations will never know from the horrors that we are living through and transforming. And I also cry tears of pain for those that are still stuck finding their way. I cry tears for the children who are, have been so shut down by trafficking or abuse that they, they don't know anything else other than that reality. I, there isn't a day where I, where I don't stop and just cry. And it, and I say that because spirituality isn't about trying to put up a front where we're trying to be bigger than something. It's about allowing life to bring you to your needs and cut you to your core just for the gifts that hide inside of you can come out for everyone's benefit. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. And at this time in earth, you know, so many years ago, you know, back in the day when you and I first met, we were living in a world where we were saying, hey, try spirituality, try evolution, <laughs> try growing, you might like it. But now we're at a place where there's that, not that option. Now it's like in order to survive yeah. what this hell ride is, for the moment, you have to evolve. So first spirituality said, check this out. You might want to do this right now and not put it off. Now we're in a place where this is the work at hand. We are going to get through it and we're going to get through it as a global community of heart-centered beings. And we need everyone's support in doing it. And as we choose to love ourselves, we send out that signal that attracts more loving people to us. And as evolving communities, the love that we build and expand and ripple out makes this world vibrationally into a place where everyone can heal in a very conscious way without the unprocessed hurt inside of us causing more hurt to other people. That's the cycle we're breaking. And I'm really loving this conversation. And, uh, and I really trust everyone listening in that your heart is, is also warmed and, and just feeling tenderized. You know, as I'm hearing you, you talk, I'm really uh, reconnecting and feeling the, just the depth and power of, of just, and the simplicity of just love, loving, you know, yeah. and the power of just loving and meeting oneself meeting oneself with that tenderness and compassion as a child. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's really healing. It's really healing. So folks, as you're listening in uh, to this conversation with the amazing Matt Kahn, uh, I trust you're also allowing the, the conversation to resonate and touch your hearts and spirits in, in many ways. Matt, you've shared a lot today. Um, I've taken lots of notes. I know everyone has been blessed so far. Um, my final question is just to sort of uh, bring things into focus as we begin sending people off back into their lives. Um, if you were to distill, let's say, the three most important uh, learnings of your life or insights that you've come to in your evolution in this lifetime, I mean, hey, it could be beyond this lifetime as well, but <laughs> the three most important things you feel uh, that you could share with those listening in that would impact the next generation mm -hmm. uh, children and grandchildren. Like here are the three things that if I could if you could gift them to us would, mm -hmm. would, would evolve the soul and the consciousness of generations to come the most, uh, at least in this moment today, uh, what would those three things be? 
Oh, what a great question. My goodness. Um, I would say in no particular order. Yeah, um, no particular order. Point number one, no matter how you're seeing something, there's always more to the story than meets the eye. So even when we're looking at horrors online and things of what are happening, there is an opportunity for what is coming to light to create an opportunity to create a world where no person, child, man, woman, or animal needs to be harmed under any, any, any circumstances. So no matter what we're looking at, it's not that anyone's looking at anything wrong. It's that what we're seeing is a degree of truth, but there's always, everything that we see is always a building block for something greater. That's very important to keep in mind. The second thing, and it really is kind of my original spiritual practice that I started as a kid, and I still do it to this day. I found when I was a kid, and I had this realization that it was so much harder to keep making sure that everyone liked me every day to find some form of validation that never was long lasting, that instead of trying to feel good around people by making sure they liked me, I found that if I was just more polite than anyone that I encountered, that it didn't matter how anyone else acted, it only mattered how I responded. And I learned that from a very early age and I don't know how I learned it, but as an adult, and it's not something I try to do, it's just something that's natural for me, you know, a lot of times I'm on the street, I get recognized for my YouTube videos, and mm. you know, which is lovely and very humbling. <clears throat> but, you know, if someone doesn't know who I am, which is no, no big deal, I'm just going to be maybe that funny or v- very polite person that you meet. And for me, I'm everyone's friend. I'm everyone's family. I'm everyone's support. And I'm everyone's, uh, you know, advocate. So I'm, I'm, I'm a safe person for a woman to sit, sit next to who doesn't need to feel objectified under any circumstances. I'm a safe person for a man to meet. And despite his, you know, choices, like I had with that man in my garage, I was there to be a positive influence. And for a child, I am a safe person for a child, you know, who, who is lost, who needs to find, you know, whatever it is. For me, being polite gave me access to a level of joy that I had never known in my life. Because when I was very young, I was very depressed. I was very sad. I really didn't like being on this planet. I didn't understand it. People are mean. And I just didn't get what all of this was. And only by being nice and polite, mm. even though in the beginning it was really hard because I'm, you know, this open-hearted person waiting to be everyone's best friend. And mm. people aren't that open necessarily. And so I, from, from a life of constant rejection, I just learned that just being polite to someone else was not only a gift I was giving them, but it was a gift for myself. And so ultimately I became really, really good friends with politeness. And even when I'm transforming darkness on a very collective level, or I'm working with people doing healing work at my events, what allows me to be so powerful and shift someone's energy in, in literally seconds is because I approach their darkness with such respect and politeness that it has no option but to collapse in the presence of my light. And so that, I think, is an extremely important. Always be polite, not waiting for the outcome, but just politeness is how we cultivate 
true fulfillment, wholeness, and happiness. And I think the third point, of course, no surprise, is that love always makes everything right in the end. And that if we don't know where things are going, how is this going to turn around? How do I make sense of it? We love ourselves to remind ourselves that love always makes everything right in the end. Love Mm. always has the final say. Love always is the final answer. And in the end, love always wins. And so we go through these lifetimes enough to align with that, which always winds up as the governing reality. That is the reality of light. It is the manifestation of love. And it doesn't matter what I see on this planet. I only work for and work with and work as the love that has the final say and makes everything right in the end. Love always wins. Love always wins. Boom. That's a book title right there. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your next book, Matt. Love always wins. That's Maybe. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Can you assign everyone uh, a homework assignment, just a, a simple practical thing that they can do uh, as a way to just immediately apply everything you shared today? Just what's one simple thing? That I think, I think the simplest thing we can do is just, even if we spent um, uh, 30 seconds or a minute with our hand on our heart and just feeling the vibration of light that comes through your hand, that when your hand is on your heart, you are saying without words, I'm here with you. And if you hold your hand on your heart long enough, you'll realize the I that is saying, I am here with you, is the universe within you speaking to itself. And that's when awakening is instigated. Folks, you heard it, the homework assignment from Matt Kahn. Let's practice it. Hand on heart. I'm here with you. Bring love to yourself. Beautiful. Matt, what's the best way that uh, people can find out about you and your work? Goodness, well, you know, to, to check out one of my live stream events and uh, to check out some of my blogs and some of my f- famous YouTube videos, you know, you can go to mattcon.org. That's M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org. And you can sign up for my free newsletter. It goes out every Sunday and always has brand new teachings and opportunities to bring the world together as a global movement that transforms everything at the speed of love. Mm. Beautiful. MattCon.org. We'll also post uh, Matt's website in the show notes. I thoroughly encourage you all to, to, sh- to check out his work. And if you haven't read the book, everything is here to help you. Such a beautiful book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Check out his, his book, his work, whatever rises love that. Um, that's next on my, my reading list, Matt. <laughs> uh, Matt, it's, it's been, uh, honestly, it's been a joy to connect. And uh, I don't know, my, 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 my heart just wants to say I'm just so proud, you know, soul to soul proud of just the work you're doing on the planet, brother. I remember we met and we had tea many years ago, very briefly, and yeah. the first time reconnecting, but uh, soul to soul, I'm proud of the work you're doing and the Thank blessing you. you are for people. Keep shining your light. Thank you for coming on the Soul Talk and just so generously and beautifully just sharing your love and grace and compassion, uh, politeness, <laughs> and uh, and uh, beauty with everyone. And uh, we'll definitely love to have you back. Thanks, Likewise. man. We'll play again. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Folks, I told you this was going to be a, a wonderful episode. Uh, send me an email, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from the episode today with the amazing Matt Kahn. Uh, also, let me know 
how his uh, homework assignment goes. Uh, practice that uh, for the upcoming days and let me know. I'll be waiting for your email. Download this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook and Instagram and social media, all of that good stuff. And I can't wait to connect with you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Until then, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.